You're listening to the Sewing and Growing podcast and radio show with Jay and Jay. Welcome back, Sewing and Growing Faithful. And I'm still thinking about Rick Renner and what he had to share last week <laughs> in that podcast. And I just want to add this one quote. Jonathan was really talking about the... I'm not hijacking your podcast, don't worry. That's okay. Uh, about the feet as in brass mm-hmm. that were firming and hardening and that they were heavy so he wasn't running towards judgment. And it reminded me of a quote, and I think this is a gold quote. The quote is, run towards compassion, crawl towards judgment. Yeah. I, I like, like that. that. So with that, I'm going to hand over this podcast to you because really this is your podcast to lead. Thank you. I was going to... And I gave you an open and effectual door because you wanted to share something about <laughs> yeah. a door. Well, it's about opening doors. So um, this, is a, this is a life tip for y'all. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you're approaching a door and you have no idea whether you're going to push it or you're going to pull it. And you decide to push it and you slam into the door. You're like, oh, great. And then you pull it open. You're like, wow. And sometimes it can be embarrassing. Maybe you're trying to get away from an assailant. That would be bad. That's going to stop your momentum. Um, If you don't know which way the door swings, I'm here to propose something for your consideration. Anytime you approach a door, unless you know, unless it's like your front door, you obviously know what direction it's Anytime there's any level of uncertainty. Anytime there's any level of uncertainty when you're approaching a door, I am proposing this to you. You should always, 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 always pull. We're not going to need to reverse this absolute, are we? No. (laughs) Always, always. You should. That was after the third always I wanted to ask. You should always. Oh. I think the should maybe presents a small level of doubt to this statement. Okay, keep going. You must, it would be an absolute, (laughs) right? You must always pull the door open. Uh, I'll say you should always pull the door open. If you don't know which way, start with a pull, right? Think about it this way. Um, I had a debate with somebody at the airport and we had many doors to go through and we got to experience firsthand why my thing was right. So if you approach a door and you push it and it's supposed to be a pull door, what happens? All of your your momentum stops, right? Yes. But if you pull a door that's supposed to be pushed, you don't lose momentum. You actually can propel yourself to pull it through the yeah, door. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Does that make sense? Yes. If it's a push door and you pull it, that door right behind you, go yes. ahead and test it out. All right, so walk me through it. I've The door's open, so I have to yeah, close it close first. close the door. I'm going to talk to you guys. He's going to this door right now. It is a push door. So if you didn't know what it was, let's just say you're going to go pull first. But you can pull your... And there you go. So what he did is it was a push door. And he pulled it, and what? And obviously, he's not going to pull towards him because the jam is in the way. So he pulled himself right into the door and was able to shoulder that door open, not losing very much momentum. Does that we're, make sense? Yeah, we're into your spiritual safety as well as your physical safety on the Sewing and Going podcast. There yeah, you go. Yeah, that should help you in life. Um, anytime there's a door that you're uncertain which way, and you it goes, can make it smooth, you can kind yeah, of pull it. Yeah, you can make it, it smooth. Like, you can avoid embarrassment, and you can avoid potentially a very terrible day because uh, if there's an assailant chasing you, you're not going to lose I like momentum. It. I like it. That's all right. Good, man. Pro tip: pull a door instead of push it. All right. Um, I'm titling this podcast "Yolo or Yolfi." Okay, this comes out of my time when I was a youth pastor, and John knows where this was. I taught a whole series called Rebel, and it was a six-part series. Um, and it was geared towards youth students, but it was based mostly out of a book that I read um, called Do Hard Things. 
And that book was an amazing book. My dad gave it to me. He actually wrote in the front cover of it. And he was, he was on a trip somewhere and the Holy Spirit said, get this book for your son. So I read through it and I'm still trying to work on the principles in this book. Sometimes we, I think it's natural for humans to shy away from doing hard things, but this is really all about embracing the tension of life. That's what Addison Revere talked about in his podcast yes. um, and doing hard things because you grow tremendously more. And it's talking about doing those things when you're young. The two brothers who wrote this book were very young when they wrote it. And they've accomplished a lot of amazing things before they were even the age of 20 because they embraced doing the hard things in life. And they talk about how young people should really, we have trained um, young people to really embrace adolescence. And they actually talk about in this book how the word teenager wasn't even really invented until the mid 1900s um, because before that we had no window between childhood and adulthood. We've created that window of teenager. Um, and really it's been a, it's been an injustice and it's actually setting these kids up for an unsuccessful life or what we would call failure to launch. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. Failure I to haven't launch seen it, but with Matthew McConaughey. Uh, he was 40 years old and still living with his parents. So the goal is to, um, maybe move out a little bit sooner than that, but embrace the tension of life, embrace doing hard things. The reason why it's called YOLO or YOLFI is because when I was a youth pastor, that was a really big word that all the kids, the, all the kids were saying YOLO, which means you only live once. And I thought, you know, I think a better phrase, it really does not roll off the tongue, but the better phrase would be YOLFI, which means you only live for eternity. Can I jump in real quick? Because this reminds me of something I heard from Lou Holtz. Lou Holtz. Famed, I believe, college football star. Coach. Coach. Probably star first and then became yeah. a coach. More well-known for his coaching. And he was asked, what was the difference between players 50 years ago and today? He yeah. said, simple. Today's athletes talk about rights and privileges, and the players 50 years ago talked about obligations wow. and responsibilities. That's good. Boom. Come on. Mm. Just thought that went in hand in hand. So YOLO or YOLFI, because a lot of kids, before they do something really dumb, they would say YOLO, right? They'd jump off the bridge, right? That's a classic example. Your mom might have said this to you when you were younger. If everyone was jumping off a bridge, would you? Right? So just because a lot of people are doing the wrong thing doesn't make it the right thing. And we trick ourselves into thinking that if the majority, if the, if the mass majority is doing something together, it must be right. And in modern day culture, especially... Maybe even politically, we can see that that's not true. Just because the majority is thinking one way, is that the, what God thinks, right? And I'm not just talking about Democrat versus Republican, because they both have glaring and obvious flaws. But just because a group of people is doing one thing doesn't necessarily make it right. We tend to follow the crowd. It's easier, right? We will justify doing something that is wrong just because enough people are doing it. This is what is called mob mentality. Yes. You've heard me talk We've about this about before. We've talked about this. That's great. So when you're in a large group, it's easier to remain anonymous. Yeah. The responsibility is spread out. It's this idea called shared responsibility. You want to say something? No, that's So true. the shared guilt and shame is spread out too, making it easier for you to stomach. So mm. you're going to do something wrong that you would normally not do if you were on your own. I give the analogy of throwing a brick through a window. Most people in their right mind would not just walk down a street and throw a brick through a window. But if you're in the middle of a mob, your chances of throwing a brick through a window go up tremendously. Okay. Well said. So although humans 
exhibit strong preferences for equity and moral prohibitions against harm in many contexts, people's priorities change when there is an us and them. This is co-author Rebecca Sachs. She's an associate professor of cognitive neuroscience at MIT. This is what she told MIT News in an interview. A group of people will often engage in actions that are contrary to their private moral standards of each individual in that group, sweeping otherwise decent individuals into mobs that commit looting, vandalism, and even physical brutality. Interesting stuff. This study went on to show that a certain part of your brain actually becomes relatively inactive during this mob mentality. When you're in a mob, a part of your brain actually begins to be to start to become inactive. And this is the actual part of your brain called the, oh, I just, where did it go? Thank you, Lord. The medial prefrontal cortex, right? This part of your brain is used for decision-making it's the part of your brain that is responsible for rationalization. It calculates risk and long-term consequences and effects. This is the same part of your brain that really isn't fully developed till after you're 25. Yeah. Right? A lot of looting and vandalism, a lot of what we would call uh, uh, misdemeanors, things like that happen with what age group of people? The young ones. The young ones. Those under the age of 25. Yes, ones that do not have a fully developed prefrontal cortex or medial prefrontal cortex. Saying something? Yeah, if I can jump in real quick. Yeah. It's interesting that you're talking about the mob mentality, and I'm thinking of the children of Israel who came out of Egypt. The ones mm -hmm. who got the Israelite people into trouble weren't always the Israelites, but it was those that came out and marched with mm. the Israelites. Yeah. They were called the mixed multitude, mm -hmm. and they would inspire the Israelites to do things that weren't right. Dude. Great example. So um, this is the part of the brain, like I said, that calculates long-term consequences and effects. So when people are taking part of the mob mentality, this part of your brain essentially shuts off. Their own personal moral code shuts off. Not many of us, again, would randomly throw a brick through a window, but if there was a right in the street, your chances grow up. Your chances of doing that go up. Yeah. Your moral standard, your prefrontal cortex, all that stuff is shutting down. Okay. The crazy thing about a mob mentality, though, is that it has to start on an individual level. Ooh. So there are some people out there that don't need a herd of people <laughs> around them to corrupt their minds. Okay? Or corrupt their morals. This is what the Bible calls bad company. Bad company corrupts mm -hmm. good morals. Right? 1 Corinthians 15.33. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. You hang around the wrong kind of people long enough, eventually your own sense of morality will be corrupted. Your morals are not just a set of ideas and principles, but convictions that are rooted deep in your heart. Proverbs 4.23, classic scripture, says this, Guard your heart above all else all else, for it determines the course of your life. I can't remember which translation I wrote down, where it says, out of it spring forth the issues of life or the parameters of your life. Parameters, guidelines, or boundaries. Can I say another thing yeah. about that? I was reading a different translation, and it had a footnote that the issues of life can also be extracted from the Hebrew seasons of life, mm. that sometimes we find ourselves in full seasons of our life that are not beneficial wow. because of what we let into our heart and it produces a season of our life. Mm. Whatever you let into your heart, it settles and it takes root. And that's why it's important that we must guard our hearts. We need to have some form of security that monitors and gauges what is allowed in. I think a perfect security system for your heart would be 
the word of God. Amen. That's why we compare and we judge every thought that even comes in to the word of God. If it's contrary to the word of God, we do not let it in our hearts. Yes. Right? It's a filter system. And your defense against the fallacies of life is to know the truth of the word. Reminds me something your dad, to honor your dad by how you honored him by the fact that he gave you this book. He told me that how people can recognize false bills is by seeing and knowing what true bills are to such a degree that whenever they see anything that's falsified currency, Mm -hmm. it automatically triggers. You don't know false currency by studying false currency. You know it by studying true currency that's been printed by the U.S. government. Know God's ways by knowing what comes from God, and that's His Word. That's good. Yeah, my dad was a bank teller for a while, and in his training, there was a lady, because back when he did it, the automated teller or not an automated teller machine that's an atm the count the automated counting machines they didn't have a lot of those and so they were counting a lot by hand and he said the lady that trained him she would have big stacks of money and go through them like really really fast and then all of a sudden she set one to the side and he'd go what what are you doing she goes that's fake and then he said how do you know she's like the texture everything what everything about it it screams fraud how do you know that? Because I'm so used to handling the thing. Yeah, nice shout out to my dad. Thank you. So it is almost impossible to, st- to take a stand for what is right when you are sitting in what is wrong. So don't expect to defy evil when all you do is engage in it. And this is a, a quote from one of a, a minister that really helped me when I was a youth pastor. His name is Jordan Boyce. That's what he said. Um, and a lot of times it's very subtle. Um, when, when we talk about engaging in evil, we're like, well, I'm not killing anybody. That seems pretty evil. Uh, it's, something that's evil is just something that's not of God. So it's very subtle. Maybe it's not going to see a, a particular movie that everybody else is seeing. Um, uh, not going to that particular event. If you're in high school, there's a lot of parties. College, there's a lot of parties that go on, right? Maybe it's not going to that particular party. Maybe it's understanding that Jesus is with you wherever you go. Right? You can't drop them off somewhere and then do something wrong and then pick them back up once you leave. Sure. Jesus goes with you everywhere. So if we had that mentality, kind of touching back onto the podcast that you talked about, thinking about the one who thinks about you, thinking that Jesus is with me wherever I go, right? And maybe I'm not going to do or engage in some particular activities anymore uh, when I know that Jesus is there with me. That's so good. Mm. Uh, Jim Elliott said this, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. I'll say it again. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. What he's saying is that when we go with the crowd and compromise our convictions is usually because we are trying to hold on to something temporary, whether it be popularity, money, in the end, it won't matter. But we do the right thing. Oftentimes, the result will be a loss in something we can't hold on to anyways. Right? Doing the right thing might mean I don't make as much money, right? but I can't hold on to that anyways. That's not eternal. right? But my character and my convictions and what God's going to think about me sitting before him on the day of judgment, right? that's going to matter. Yes. Wow. <clears throat> right? um, what, in the end, we would have lost that thing anyways. It's something we can't hold on to. Our reward is much greater. It's heavenly and eternal. When we understand that, doing the hard thing of taking a stand for what is right will always be the easiest choice. Through every stand, God can strengthen your convictions. That's right. It's um, it's 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 almost like developing a pathway. Think about think about um the first time driving a vehicle through the jungle. It's going to be hard. Yes. Right. But every time a vehicle takes that exact same path, it becomes easier and easier yes, and easier. Yes, that's good. Enough. And then a trail is paved. Right. 
The original person that goes down that, we call them a trailblazer. And it's hard work. Thank God for the people who have been the original trailblazers, so not only in the natural. Thank God for nice road systems, right? <laughs> but in the spiritual things, too. Um, early, early church history, trailblazers that have paved the way for us mm-hmm. to do things now. Anyways, the point I'm making is it might be hard to do something the first time, the right stand the first time. But every time you choose the right thing, it becomes easier and easier and easier. Yeah, I was thinking of trailblazers. And one person in church history that I've learned about is a guy by the name of Athanasius. And That's Athan- a fun name. Athanasius. It's a cool name, huh? The, pretty much the whole Christian world was abandoning the Trinity and taking Arianism before the Council of Nicaea and talking about that. And he actually had to stand up and he actually said, Athanasius against the world, because wow. it seemed like he was one of the only people that still believed in the Trinity. Wow. And he took his stand. And now, for the most part, that's the gospel to us. We all yeah. just take it for granted, but it almost went a whole complete way, but God mm. put a person in the name of Athanasius to take a stand for truth. Now, that reminds me of a quote. I can't remember who said it, but it was, one man with a conviction is the majority. Yes, that's good. Yeah. So First uh, Peter 3.17 says this, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than doing evil. So we got to know when and how to stand. So before you throw yourself in front of a bulldozer, you know, with a picket sign about saving the rainforest, maybe we need to think a little more carefully about when and how we should take a stand. So uh, I'm going to give you six principles to guide you in taking a stand. Um, wisdom, wisdom will teach us how to take a stand at the right time for the right thing and for the right reasons. That's why wisdom is the principal thing. That's good. Um, but here's number one. Start with the Bible. What does the word of God have to say on that topic? Even if it, even if the activity isn't directly forbidden in the Bible, is it in line with scriptural principles? You know, when we've been talking, when, you know, when I was a youth pastor, and I know you probably deal with this too, uh, you know, kids will be doing something that says, well, the Bible doesn't actually say I shouldn't do that. And we, we get in what's called the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. And we try and find loopholes because it doesn't actually say I can't do this specific thing. But does it? you know, does it fall in line with the, the spirit, spirit of, the of the word speak yeah. to the situation you're dealing with? There you go. Right. And I, in, go I'm just thinking, do people even know what the word says, even if it was the letter of the law? A lot of us don't have a biblical knowledge and to look at trailblazers, look at Martin Luther. Who, yeah. What did he say? His big thing was sola scriptura. Yeah. The sole authority is the word of God. Yeah. He paved that trail and that was not a trail that people were going down. Yeah. It's good. Thank God for people like him too. Yeah. <laughs> Saved by grace and we're, not by works. Yeah. Sola scriptus, solo gratia, yeah. and faith. Or only faith, only grace, faith. and word. Yeah. So um, does it line up with scriptural principles, right? Just because something is new or odd doesn't necessarily make it unbiblical. Scripture holds more than enough clear commands. So always start with what God's word is clear about. Um, number two, examine yourself, right? Don't get caught up in trying to get the speck out of someone else's eye and ignore the log sticking out of your own eye. We find that in Matthew 7, 3. So challenging cultural norms starts with you and the commands that you already know, but are ignoring. Ouch. I'm going to say that again. Um, challenging cultural norms starts with you and the commands that you are uh, already know, but are ignoring. Yes. This doesn't mean you have to be perfect. But before you can instruct someone else, uh, uh, 
you got to be fighting the fight for yourself. It's right? that principle of if you want to have revival, draw a circle around yourself and yeah. pray, God, change everything within this circle and yes. you will start a revival. Come on. Right? doesn't mean you have to be perfect before you can instruct um, someone, but it does mean you must be fighting the fight for yourself. People who aren't even trying to practice what they preach are called hypocrites. So don't be one of those. Examine yourself. That's principle number two in taking a stand for what is right. Number three, listen to your conscience. You know, I think it was two podcasts ago we talked about some of the great uh, theologians and ministers throughout time always had two letters in their, yeah. you know, their first name. So here's a, <laughs> here's another one, E.W. Kenyon. Woo! Um, E.W. Kenyon said this way. I really said this. It's helped me a lot. Your conscience is the voice of your spirit. Your spirit communicates with your mind through your conscience. We have a God-given sense of what is right and wrong. And as we read his word, this sense becomes more fine-tuned or the voice of our spirits become easier to hear. 1 Timothy 4.2 talks about people who have seared consciences because they've ignored it for so long. Now, even if they wanted to listen, they have no idea how to identify it. They're so calloused. um, If you can't do something with a clear conscience, even if others say that you can, you shouldn't be doing it. Wow. Sober. Sobering. Yeah. That's uh, that's point number three. Listen to your conscience, or we can we can say that listen to your spirit. But that helps me. What Tozer or not Tozer? What Kenyon, Kenyon. says: your your conscience really is the, the voice, voice of your spirit. spirit. Number four: seek godly counsel. Unless it's uh, it's time where you have to make a you know a spur of the moment decision, take time to seek the opinion of those who are more experienced and, and wiser than you are. Tell them what you think God's word says, what your own spirit is telling you, and then ask them what they would do if they were in your position. Um, what Pastor Mark, our pastor and employer, has has said a lot of times to set him up to be more uh, uh, helpful in giving advice is to already kind of be asking some of these questions know a scripture about something you're bringing to him, know what you already think about it, and then ask him, maybe what what would you do if you were in my situation, right? That's going to help people give you better counsel. Concerning leaders and godly counsel, they should not make decisions for you, but they should see into the decisions that you're making. Amen. Proverbs 12, 15 says that the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. There it is. There it is. Uh, number five. And we're wrapping up here. You're doing good. Um, be humble, loving, and bold. It's like three principles all in one. Be humble, loving, and bold. The attitude, this is really important. The attitude in which you take a stand says just as much as the stand itself. The attitude in which you take that stand says just as much as the stand itself. You can ruin your own witness and cause if your stand is taken in anger, retaliation, or contempt. Absolutely. These are, they're contrary to the word of God. We must stand boldly and even forcefully, uh, you know, if the situation calls for it, but our stand should always be from a place of love and humility. So this is where that classic uh, quote comes from. We need to hate sin and not sinners. So don't confuse the two. That is happening a lot these days, and I'm not going to jump too far into that, but we confuse the two a lot, and we end up communicating, even if we don't hate the sinner, it comes across that we are hating the sinner yes. and not the sin. True. Right? So the attitude in which you take a stand is even more important, I would say, as the stand itself. Number six, be a part of the solution. Um, 
don't be uh don't gain a reputation by always being against everything be for something don't point out problems without providing solutions and i've said this before i don't know who i don't know who said this but be known by what you're for not what you're against there's a lot of people on facebook and you know like I know exactly what that person is against because every post is, I can't stand this. I can't believe they did this. Can you believe that? I'm against this. I'm against this. I'm against this. Christians, I don't want someone uh, identifying me by all the things that I hate and proclaim on Facebook. That's so good. And God said that he would bring us to a broad and open place. And for mm. everything that he tells us not to do, he gives us something that he is for and yeah. for us to do to do more than fill the things that he told us mm -hmm. not to do. Yeah. Make it your goal to show people a better way, not just telling them, telling them that their direction is wrong. When you uproot a weed, take time to plant a flower. Absolutely. Come I on. think of what Jesus said about demons. Right. Yeah. That if you get one cast out, you have to fill it in with something good or yeah. seven worse demons will fill that yeah. person. Here's, uh, I'll, I'll complete that quote. I like this. It's not a quote. I think this this might be my own words, and I'm, I'm kind of happy It's about your that. quote. When you uproot a weed, take time to plant a flower in its place. Otherwise, all you've done is dug a hole. Woo, that is good. Mm. Put that on Facebook today. Thanks. But someone's going to like Google it. I should probably Google it. Like, you didn't say that. <laughs> um, as far as my notes go, maybe I said that. Maybe I didn't. Um, but I don't yeah. think anyone's holding you to. <laughs> um, so uh, I'll list them off one more time and then we'll be done. Six principles to guide you in taking a stand. Start with the Bible, number one. Number two, examine yourself. Number three, listen to your conscience or your spirit because your conscience is the voice of your spirit. Number four, seek godly counsel. Five, be humble, loving, and bold. That's about your attitude in taking a stand. And number six, be a part of the solution. And I think about... Um, Nehemiah and building the wall. There was a lot of people who knew that the wall was broken. There were people, there was naysayers, people who were like, hey, there's a hole there. Um, actually, no, I'm talking about Jeremiah. It was the wall into the temple. He had a vision where he crawled through a wall in the temple and it was full of, it was full of stuff. But anybody, right, anybody can point out a hole, but it takes people who are invested into the final product to fill, that hole. To fill the hole, fill the hole. And I think of another quote. About being part of the crew, right? Part of the crew, part of the ship. When the ship is going under, you don't jump ship. What do you do? You grab a bucket. Oh, man, mm. you are quote fire. Right <laughs> but I don't now. know who said any of these. They're just circulating All in my brain. All wisdom comes from yeah. the giver of wisdom. Yeah. Think about that too. When you find something that you want to be a part of, um, yeah, those things are going to have problems. Um, but don't be a person who criticizes or jump ship. Be a person who grabs a bucket or grabs the spackle. Look at Jesus. The, the churches had great problems, but he yeah. stayed in the center of them. Come on. And was yeah. determined like to influence. Said last podcast. Amen. It's good, man. Thank you. Yolo so or Yolfi. Greatly presented. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yolfi, not to be Y-O-L-F-I, because that's how you would say Yolfi, but with the actual E. So maybe it's just Yolf. 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 Uh, I think of kufi, which is some type of Indian food, I believe. <laughs> and you, when you say kufi, I think of couscous. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> which leads me to think about risotto, which leads me to think about lobster risotto. <laughs> which seems like we're going farther away from the wisdom of the day. <laughs>
Yeah, let's go wisdom of the day. You go first. Uh, I really like your seven points. I think seeking godly counsel and examining yourself, I think those actually go really well together. I think you got to do both. You got to know yourself really well, and you have to trust somebody enough to open yourself up to them and be humble because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Mm -hmm. And it's a humbling process to examine yourself where you're at and to present yourself to somebody else. Not so they'll make the decision for you, but so they can see into your decision, probe and lead you to Christ. Yeah, amen. Um, my wisdom of the day is what I said in point number six about taking the time. If you're going to uproot a weed, take the time to plant a flower. Otherwise, all you've done is dug a hole. And when the ship's, if the ship's going under. Yeah, don't jump, not time to jump ship. It's time to grab a bucket. That's good. All right. Um, yeah, just in how, in, in how you deal with people, uh, you want to leave that situation knowing that you have started a process that is going to induce growth. Otherwise, you mean, how do I say this? Just thinking about if you were in, if, if you're putting yourself in the other person's shoes, if you, someone criticized you and then walked away, it's as if they've just dug a big Can hole. I share something that came to mind? Yes. This please. helped me a lot as I dated people and spent <laughs> time with people before I met my wife. I heard it from somebody that would whoever you're dating in this moment, their future husband at the wedding mm-hmm. day, be able to shake your hand and look you in the eye and be happy with the Ooh. influence you've had with their wife. Ouch. So I always had that on my mind as I was doing things and as I wanted to do certain things and go, not only am I pleasing God, but would their future husband, if it's not me, be willing to shake my hand and mm. thank me for the way they treated their wife before they knew her? Ouch. That's good. Does that make sense yes, in similarity to what you're saying? Yeah. Leaving a situation better than it better was than before. Better than you found it, right? Because that situation might indeed call for something needing to be uprooted. Mm. But are you leaving it? In an, in a in a position that is going to induce growth. Amen. Yeah. Produce growth. Induce just reminds me of labor. <laughs> Being willing to birth a new thing. <laughs> birth a new thing. Okay. Are you pregnant with a dream? Induce okay. that thing. Induce that. <laughs> <laughs> you need to pray and pray now. All right. Father God, thank you so much that we can have fun, that we can laugh, that we can share wisdom. And I thank you that all wisdom does come from you. Father God, help us to realize that we're living for eternity and we want to have an eternal impact. So that's why when we touch things, when we go into situations, we're part of the solution, not the problem. So thank you for leading us to do hard things, to be men and women that represent you well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for praying us out. Thank you for helping me stay on track. And, uh, being a brother in Christ that lives uh, for the YOLFI acronym, not the YOLO acronym. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. Catch us next time on the Sewing and Growing Podcast. <laughs>